Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 3. If you don't have your Bibles, uh, we have some in the back. But uh, there we go. Rolla, Missouri. Anybody ever been to Rolla, Missouri? All right. There we go. Uh, there's a uh, University of Rolla in Missouri. It's kind of like Colorado School of Mines, except in a less entertaining state. But uh, my dad, he, that's where he went to school, but he would always go back um, to recruit and to hire people for General Motors, Delco Electronics. And I always enjoyed going with him on the trips as a family because we always stayed at the Howard Johnsons in Rolla. And the reason I like the Howard Johnsons is because if you could put me in water... That was always where I would have preferred to be. And so they had this pool that was half indoor, and there was a tunnel that led you to this half outdoor pool, and then there was a hot tub outside. And so we would go there, and from the very beginning of my life, as soon as I could like walk and run and kind of move around, I would want to be in the water. And so I remember as a kid, we went to Howard Johnson's, and we would go to the pool, and my dad would get in the water, and I would jump in. And my sister and I, we would take turns and we'd jump as far as we could. And I trusted my dad that he would catch us in the water and then shoot us over to the side. And we'd get out and we would just do this nonstop. And my dad is just a trooper because he would just, that's what he would do. He would just stand in the water and he would catch us. And at one moment on one trip, uh, he shoots me off to the side and I didn't think anything of it, but he had gone over to where my sister was on the other side of the pool. And so the story goes that it got quiet over the next three or four minutes. And then somebody came to their realization, where's Jeff? And evidently my uncle looks down at the bottom of the pool and there I was. Just probably sitting crisscross applesauce, I don't know, hanging out at the bottom of the deep end. And so they reached down and they grabbed me and they got the water out of my system and <laughs> revived me or whatever. Um, but uh, that was the day that I almost drowned in the pool. But evidently it didn't affect me all that much because as soon as they got me going, I wanted to jump back into the pool with my dad there. Are you going to catch me this time? So... Anyway, the reason I tell that is we have just dove in headfirst into the life of Christ. We are jumping with everything we have into His life, and if we're going to study anything at this church, it's going to start with Him, and we're going to do it through Scripture. And so we're going through a chronological order of the life of Christ, and it started, uh, basically, we did a Christmas in July theme. We did the prophecies in the Old Testament that all proclaimed that there would be somebody who would come and would redeem the world. Now, everybody back then thought it was going to be a political leader, somebody that came in and politically delivered them from Rome. But Jesus obviously came, and he had intentions of delivering people from sin. But we went through the Christmas in July. We looked at the birth of Jesus, the baby, uh, Jesus being a baby. And then in Luke chapter 3, it actually talks about his childhood. And what we get from that really short very small aspect of Scripture in Luke chapter 3, we gain a lot of knowledge about who Jesus is and what he would be about because at age 12, they go to Jerusalem and they're celebrating the Passover and then they leave and they accidentally leave Jesus. I don't know how you leave God somewhere. 
Um, but they did. They found a way to leave Jesus in Jerusalem. And they go back and they find him and they ask him the question, how could you do this to us? And Jesus' response is quite amazing. He says, didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? Didn't you know that I would be about my father's business? And that sets the tone for his entire life, that he was going to be about his father's business. And that's what we should be about. We should be about the father's business. And so then, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, shows up. And he starts preaching a, 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 ver, a very rather bold message. He started yelling at people, telling them to repent and be baptized. Every one of you, repent and be baptized. He actually says this in Mark. We, we hit on this last week. But in Mark chapter 1, verse 4, it says, This messenger was John the Baptist, and he was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. And then moving on down to verse 7, it says, John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I am not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So here's John the rough-looking dude down by the river who's preaching a very bold, in-your-face message. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent. Here's what he is not saying. He's not saying you should say you're sorry, or at least you should, but that shouldn't be the end of it. It's not about changing your mind. Repenting is change of heart. It's a change of heart, and let me clarify that a little bit for you. There's a big difference between knowing how you should live your life and then actually doing it. I can be going this direction and I could know in my head, this isn't the direction I should be going. These aren't the things I should be doing. It's a completely different thing to say, whoa, I've got to change the way I'm living my life. And so he wants us to change completely and to start following after him. And this is what John does. He tells people, this is what you need to do. And then he attacks the religious leaders and basically calls them a bunch of snakes. You guys are a bunch of vipers. You're snakes. He basically says, you are circumcised on the outside, but you have not been circumcised on the inside. Your heart has not been circumcised. You have not had a change of heart. This is what needs to happen that you would repent, that you would turn your life around and you would actually line it up with God. And this actually makes this week's message and this week's story a little bit confusing, but also valuably important. And we find it in Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 13. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Here's what it says. It says, Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, It should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. And so John agreed to baptize him. 
And after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. Do you get the picture? They're at the river, and Jesus shows up. And Jesus goes to John to be baptized, and John's initial response is, no way. Why? It should be you that baptizes me, not the other way around. Kind of like when Jesus says, I'm going to wash Peter's feet, and Peter's like, uh-uh. It should be I that washes your feet. But this response that John gives, should not res- not, it shouldn't surprise us, because a few, a few verses earlier, and we just hit this in Mark, John tells us that he is not even worthy to touch his sandals, let alone lower Jesus down in baptism. But here's the question that John didn't ask, And it would have been the question that I would have asked. It's the question that I get from my kids anytime I ask them to do something is maybe confusing to them or something they don't want to do. And some of you guys know this response. It is the question, why? That's what I get from my kids all the time. Sometimes even my wife. Clean your room. Why? Because I said so. Make your bed. Why? I'm just going to sleep in it tonight. Dad, come on. Brush your teeth. Why? I'll show you pictures. (laughs) Do your homework. Why? It doesn't get any better when we get older. Need you to finish that report. Do your TPS reports, whatever it is. You say, why? But Jesus comes and he says, you need to baptize me. And if I'm John, my response would be, why? Why? which is the wrong response to give Jesus when he asks you to do something. It should be followed with, absolutely, yes, sir. How deep do you want to go? How long do you want to be down? I will do it right now. But my question would be why, and the reason is this. John's baptism, John the Baptist was baptizing, and it was a baptism of repentance, a turning around of your life, a confession of sins. And so imagine him down in the water and the first guy comes up and he's like, hey, I'm Larry and I struggle with lust, greed, gossip, anger, and gluttony. All right, dude, way to confess it. Repent of it and boom, boom, brings him back up. Next person, I'm Sally. I struggle with codependency and gossip and sex with my boyfriend and I know this and that. And he's like, okay, Then Peter comes in. Peter's like, I struggle with cursing and running my mouth off and a little bit of anger, and occasionally I react before I think. John the Baptist would be like, fair enough. Then Jesus comes in. Yeah, I got nothing. I got nothing. Jesus shows up, nothing to repent of, has nothing to confess other than he's had never sinned before. And if you say, well, yeah, you need to line your life up with God, he already has. 
From the very beginning, he has been in like-minded with the Father. There's never been a moment in history where Jesus didn't have a like mind with his dad. But I want you to notice what Jesus says in return to John the Baptist. He said, it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. And what is fascinating about that is Jesus not only answers the question of why he should be baptized, he also answers the question of why we should be baptized. Because he gives us a perfect example and understanding of what it means to act in obedience to God. That he requires this of all of his children. God requires it. In Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Mark 16, 16 says, Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. And so we see an act of obedience from Jesus. In some of your versions, it also talks about that uh, it would fulfill righteousness. And a lot of people, and I would probably be in this camp, believe that when it talks about this righteousness, it's talking about Jesus actually identifying with our sins that he would identify with our sins through his baptism, which is really interesting, and it makes all the sense in the world, because what was his mission on earth? He was on a rescue mission to redeem us of our sins. And so I think it's amazing that he would start out his ministry by being baptized and identifying with our sins and let that drive him all the way through his ministry, all the way to a cross. And on a cross, it would be my sins and your sins that would drive him to do what he did. They would pay the price for our sins. And so this is a picture. It has Jesus with our sin as his focus, the very beginning, all the way to the cross. When Jesus, who had no sin in our lives or in his life, was baptized by John, who had plenty of sin, it also shows an amazing act of humility that Jesus would humble himself and be baptized by a sinner, John. There are amazing acts of Jesus showing how humble and amazing he is, and this is one of them. And so he does. And he sets the example for us of what we are to do. And Jesus never once asked us to do something that he was not willing to do himself, including getting into the water and being baptized. If you read verse 16, it says Jesus is baptized, and it says that after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water... The heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit, John saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. And what is fascinating about this, and all the times that I've read this, and I've preached on it before, I don't think I ever picked up on this, and I don't know if you picked up on it or not. 
This is one of the rare times where we actually visibly or audibly see the Trinity in one spot, in one moment of time. The Trinity shows up. We have God the Father, we have Jesus the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit. Jesus rises up and God opens up the heavens and the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, comes down upon Jesus. And whether it was like a dove, resembled a dove, or flat out was a dove, what I do know, it resemb- it's the Holy Spirit that comes down onto Jesus and anoints him. He is anointed by God to carry out the mission of God. And it, my question would be, well, hadn't he always been anointed by God? Yes. But not visibly to the other people around. John gets to see this. And the people around get to see this. They get to see God anointing his son. And then God actually speaking, this is my dearly loved son. So if you were confused about it before, now there should be no confusion at all. God says, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. He brings me pleasure. Watching my child is bringing me pleasure. And it's like every parent has had those moments in life when your child does something amazing and great. And you're like, that's my child. That's my son. That's my daughter. They bring me pleasure. They bring me joy. That is awesome. And God is looking down at his son and he's saying, wow, that is great. He brings me such joy. And this is specifically where we see the baton being passed off from John to Jesus. Because up until this point, it's John that's doing the preaching. It's John that's doing the calling out. It's John that's doing the baptizing. It's John that has the crowds following him. But from this moment on, we see a shift, and we see this crowds start to follow Jesus. We see the disciples start to follow Jesus. John's disciples are like, with, they're with John, and then they see Jesus, and they immediately just start following after Jesus. The baton is being passed, and when John witnesses the Holy Spirit anointing on Jesus, Jesus from here on carries the message declares the message, lives out the message because he is the message. And so if Jesus was baptized and he had no sin, what are we, who frankly have lots of sin, what's our excuse? And so what I want to do with the rest of our time together is just give you a better understanding of baptism And maybe answer some questions that you might have had. And whether you've been baptized or not, maybe you were baptized as a baby or a young child. Or maybe you came from a different faith or a different kind of understanding of Christianity. Hopefully this will just give us a better perspective. And let me just be honest, and I'm just going to say this right here. I'm preface it by saying, this just comes from my study of Scripture. You will find different people, even in Christianity, that have a different understanding and a different idea of baptism. But as I've read scripture and as I've gone to school and my education and the way I was raised, um, this is just where I've come to our own perspective of baptism. I think it's interesting if you walk down the grocery aisle, you'll come across um, 
a box that a lot of people don't ever buy. It's called powdered milk. Uh, I buy it because I make my hot chocolate mix out of it. But all you got to do is add water and you get what? Milk. Pretty fascinating. Add water, you get milk to this powder. Who would have thunk it? And then you can go down, the, uh, maybe it's the same aisle or another aisle, and you'll find powdered orange juice. All you got to do is add water and you get... You guys are a little slow. Come on. Wake up. We add water to the powdered orange juice, we get... Orange juice, very good. Then you go down the next aisle and you find baby powder. And so you add, I'm just kidding. And I totally stole that from somebody else and it's cheesy and pathetic. But I think sometimes that's what a lot of people think about when they think about baptism or a Christian life. If we just add water to it, then something amazing is going to happen. And I just want to be very clear. In Ephesians 2, it says, we are saved by grace through faith that we have in Christ. Not the water. You are saved through grace, through faith that you have in Christ. And so we celebrate baptism. We get to celebrate a new life that comes through the power of Jesus. Paul alludes to this in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. He says, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Do you catch it? What it represents and how it all comes together? In choosing to be baptized in the Bible, it mentions several things. It mentions being clothed with Christ. It talks about putting on Christ or being in Christ. When you read Galatians 3, 26, it says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male, or fe- male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Somehow baptism is a way for us to have a point of identity with Jesus. That we will have identity with Him when we are baptized. And it's also this idea of cleansing. If you read through the Old Testament, you'll read about the very first thing that they would come to. Um, in the tabernacle, in the temple, would have been this altar where they'd make a sacrifice. And the second thing they would come to is this basin of water. And you would cleanse yourself. And you could not go any further until you did this. And you had to do it every single time you came. Why? Because you always came with sin. So you would sacrifice the lamb, and then you would cleanse because of what you were bringing to the table. Baptism is significant that it has something about cleansing of the soul, that when we declare that Jesus is Lord of our lives and we are baptized into him, there's a cleansing that takes place in our lives. 1 Peter 3.21 says, And that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He wants to cleanse your soul. 
He wants to cleanse my soul. And so questions that come up when we talk about baptism, we talk about the Christian church. Why do you immerse? Is a question that we get a lot. If this was our building and we owned it, uh, you would probably see a baptismal somewhere up here. And it would be a, a big pool of water, a small pool of water, and we would baptize, whether it's a swimming pool, lake, river, ocean, whatever it is, it's going to be a body of water that we can actually immerse people into. So why do we do that? The word, the meaning throughout the Bible, actually means to dip or to plunge, to submerge, to immerse down into. And the word baptismo or baptizo that you'll hear uh, used by people much smarter than me was this idea that even before Jesus uh, came to the earth, they would take these garments and they would plunge them into a solution, a dye of some sort, and they would baptize the garments so that when they would come out, they would be completely different, a different color. And so they, you would submerge these things down 100% and they would come up completely different. This idea that it is 100%, that it is a full commitment, that when we give our lives to Jesus, it is a complete surrender of our lives to Him. Baptism by immersion is complete. It is one with God. Completes the act of submission to Jesus. And He wants every bit of us, and this is where we struggle. We struggle with baptizing our lives. Because we want to give him this portion and that portion, but it's hard for us to give everything. But it's exactly what God is asking. He wants everything. And it also represents the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That we are buried, that our old life is buried and put to death, and we are resurrected into a new life with God, which is why you'll hear the pastor, whoever's doing the baptizing, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, to be buried with Christ, to raise, to walk in a new life with Him. And if you remember what we just said in Romans 6, 4, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. So, another question that we'll get is how old do we need to be to be baptized? And the answer is, I don't know. There's not an age mentioned in the Bible. But there are some things that we can read through the Bible that will give us a little bit of perspective and an understanding of where you need to be in life. And as far as I can read in scriptures, I cannot read, I don't find anything that supports infant baptism. And some of you guys were baptized as an infant or a, a baby, and we don't take away from what your parents did in dedicating you to God. But when it is your decision, which is what you need to make, it needs to be your decision. Eventually, every single one of us will stand before God and we'll give an account. And it's not going to be your mom or your dad or your aunt, your uncle, your grandparents that give the account for you. You have to give it yourself. And so when we start thinking about when we are ready or when it's that place in life for us, there's a Christian term, it's not even a Bible term, but we call it the age of accountability. 
when you can start to understand what repentance really looks like, that we can confess our sins, that we can actually make this decision on our own, that it's nobody else's decision, that this isn't a pool party, but it's a real significant understanding of me giving my life to Jesus and understanding of what the power of the cross. And so usually around 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, even up, we try to have conversations. And so parents, if you're wondering about your child, keep having those conversations. Ha, ha, you know, sit down with, with my wife, Sarah, or uh, Megan, or some of our leaders in our children's ministry and start talking about this. Start memorizing scriptures to talk about baptism and see where that leads. And so obviously, I mentioned before that a lot of different people have a lot of different understanding of where this is. And there's a lot of arguments going on about the importance of baptism and what it really looks like. But I would just tell you, when people say, well, do I have to get baptized? Do I have to be baptized? Do I have to do that? I would say you're asking the wrong question. I would say you get to be baptized. You get the opportunity to submit your life to Jesus. And I don't believe baptism should be a debate I believe it should be a decision. A decision that every one of us get to make. A decision that we make when we're ready to give our lives over to Jesus and be obedient in taking those steps into the water. In Acts chapter 2, I'm going to close with this, but in Acts chapter 2, verse 36 and 38, through 38, there's this amazing phenomenon going on. There are some sermons being preached on a level that is way beyond anything I've ever preached. And it says, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Messiah, also meaning Christ in the New Testament, which means anointed one. And Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles that were there, brothers, what should we do? This is what happens when something gets your attention. Something kind of hits you between the eyes, something that pierces your heart, something is very convicting. And then the very next question usually is, what should we do about that? And that's exactly what they ask. Brothers, what should we do? Because of what you said, we feel convicted. What do we do now? And this is the response that Peter gives. He said, each one of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized in the name of, the, uh, name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and then he, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What must we do? Repent. Line your life up with Jesus. Be baptized and live the rest of your days with him. So it was Easter Sunday when I was nine years old at Chapel Hill Christian Church in Kokomo, Indiana. 
I'd been begging for a few years to get baptized, and my parents had the gift of discernment and knew that I wanted to go swimming in church. So they asked me questions that would stump me, and they said, well, you know what? And not to convict me or convince me to not. They, it was their biggest dream that their children would grow up, give their lives to Jesus, and get baptized. But when I was nine years old on Easter Sunday, I went and I gave my life to Jesus in an old building at Chapel Hill. And people often ask me, you know, were you ready at nine years old to give your life over to Jesus and be baptized? My answer is pretty simple. No, I wasn't. But I also know I wasn't ready to be married at age 32. I didn't understand what I was getting myself into. I didn't know everything about Sarah that I do know now, and I'm going to continue to get to know her. But what I do know is that I didn't want to spend another day not in a relationship with him. I knew that when I got married, I didn't want to spend another day without my wife. That I was willing to do whatever I could to call her my bride. Bribe her, twist her arm, manipulate, whatever I have to do. I want to be your husband. I don't want you to be with anybody else. And there's a lot of excuses I could have made. Before my wedding, you know, the tuxedo's a little tight. It wasn't back then, but it sure is now. I did your wedding last week. Oh, I didn't tell you guys. It was uncomfortable. Tuxedo could have been uncomfortable. Maybe it was too hot in the building that we got married. It was really hot. Try to figure out all these things. Who are we going to invite? Who are we not going to invite? That's uncomfortable. Do I really need to do this? Do I really need to go through this whole wedding thing? And I could have come up with excuses. But I didn't have any reservations at all. I would have worn a Speedo if it means I could just go up there and marry Sarah. So what a lot of people do when we start talking about baptism is we start to think about all the different excuses that we could make. Well, I'm not comfortable in water, not comfortable doing things like that. But if you really want to give your life over to God, and we're saying, I want to make you Lord and Savior of my life, then why would we make excuses? We should want to sprint to the nearest body of water and jump in. And I'm so glad Jesus didn't make excuses, that he didn't have the reservations as he's walking towards the cross in the last week of his life. So many times where if it had been me, I'd be like, yeah, I'm done. I'm not going to do it. But I think about all the things that Jesus went through, denied and betrayed by two of his closest friends, being mocked, spit upon, whipped, beaten. He had a, 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 a crown of thorns pressed into his skull, into his head, bleeding all around. Had to carry his own execution tool up a hill where they would nail 
nails into his hands and feet. And if he was willing to do that, what am I willing to do for him? Anything. Anything he asks. And so I started this whole thing by saying, talking about me jumping in, jumping into that pool and my dad catching me, that complete surrender. Okay, dad, I'm in your arms. Don't, don't let me sink again. But here's the cool thing. With God, he will never be distracted. He will catch you. He will embrace you. He will love you. He will walk with you for the rest of your life into eternity. We get to jump with everything we got, fully submitted to him. So everybody asks, when's the perfect time to get baptized? I would say right now. And I'm supposed to go to a Rockies game, but if people come forward and say, I want to get baptized, I'll go to the lake right now. And we'll do it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity to be in here, read your scripture, to have it speak to us. And I pray that every single one of us in this room will have this conviction in our hearts, no matter where it, no matter what it is for us. And maybe it's a, I've been going down the wrong path, I've been going in the wrong direction, I need to repent. Maybe for some of us, we have never declared God as our Lord and Savior. We've never taken those steps with baptism. And we need to do that today. And so I just pray that we won't let these decisions pass by, but we will act upon them. We will respond to you in an amazing way. And this we ask in your name. Amen.